afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Hello and welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojak. Luke Smith is here with me as always. We're excited to be back doing one of these. Um, Nurem's past the halfway point of spring practice, and at the time of this recording, they're just under two weeks away from the Blue and Gold game. Obviously, we haven't been able to attend any of the spring practice sessions, but there's been plenty of interesting reports coming out of South Bend about the team and their development over the course of the past few weeks, so we have plenty to talk about there. We'll also do a deep dive into the semi-controversial decision regarding Notre Dame's 2023 home opener. In case you haven't heard already, last week the university announced it will host Tennessee State on September 2nd of next year, marking the first time in program history that the Irish will face a historically black college and university, and also the first time Notre Dame will ever play an FCS team. This announcement drew a lot of strong reactions, most of which were were pretty negative, at least from what I saw, and it looks like the two of us are kind of split on this move, so we'll each explain why towards the back half of the show. Um, We're also going to try something a little different today, something we haven't done a whole lot of here on this podcast, um, and that is talk about Brian Kelly. But before we get to that, I don't want to bury the lead here, uh, as Luke, you were with another former Notre Dame coach this past weekend. Yeah, uh, assistant coach. That is that. That's true. <laughs> I uh, I was at an event Saturday night that uh, Urban Meyer happened to be attending. Um, so yeah, uh, managed. I, I, in these situations, I don't typically like to bother these people, but this was one where I felt like I couldn't really pass up. So I uh, did manage to talk to him, make a, a passing joke for for. A few minutes made a joke about how we need him in South Bench, and he was like, "Nope, uh, I'm done. I'm done, done." But you know, very nice in this setting. I know that probably a lot of our listeners don't want to hear anything nice about Urban Meyer, but <laughs> very nice in this setting. And uh, we got a picture with him throwing up the leprechaun fist. So uh, it was actually his wife's idea. She said, "You guys went to Notre Dame, right?" Yeah. And so I think we know where his allegiance is live for the opener because he was <laughs> he has him up in the in the photo. That's funny. Well, good to see him doing well, I guess. How'd he look? He's had an eventful past few months here, I'd say. So it's probably Yeah, he looked all right. Well, I, I mean, honestly, I didn't even realize it. The, the day of the event was the same day that Dwayne Haskins died. So I, I think that was probably kind of weird because he coached him. But he's a lot taller than you realize, actually. He's probably like 6'4", which I never realized. He's a tall dude. So Yeah, he definitely looks like kind of a towering, terrifying figure, especially if he's yelling at you. Yeah. Um, all right, that's funny. Well, actually, we'll, we should post that picture with when we like tweet it out and everything because it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Um, looking at Notre Dame string practice again, you know we haven't been there. A couple quick news and notes: Notre Dame added Harvard defensive tackle Chris Smith in the transfer portal after Aiden Kianana tore his ACL in the first practice of spring ball. He was a reserved, pretty much deep on the bench as a defensive tackle. But this year was looking to actually get like 15 snaps a game potentially. The staff was pretty high on him, so unfortunate that he got hurt. But now Notre Dame adds an all-Ivy League transfer. Smith was actually initially committed to play for Minnesota until he flipped to Notre Dame once they came calling. Also, another unfortunate note, 
Wide receiver Joe Wilkins suffered a broken foot, which is a Liz Frank injury, I guess, in practice that required surgery. Wilkins is now out for the rest of spring and most of the summer. And at this point, Notre Dame only has five healthy scholarship receivers for the rest of spring ball. Not necessarily an ideal position for the receiver room. No, and honestly, not even only just the receiver room, but like defensive backs. I think we heard Chris O'Leary say like, yeah, you know, it's not that bad. Just like one-on-ones are kind of hard because there aren't that many receivers. Um, So like just thinking about that from that standpoint, because on top of the fact that there's only five scholarship receivers available at the moment, Styles and Colsey have missed time too. So it's been, it's been tough. Yeah. And I know we've talked at length about the Notre Dame receiver room really over the past two years. It seems like this is never ending. And, you know, this is what happens when you just ha- recruit so few guys and actually get them to sign on the dotted line when it comes to signing day. The fact that Notre Dame is in this position is embarrassing. When I was in high school, we had more receivers on the depth chart than Notre Dame yeah. does at this point. And I know Tobias Merriweather will come in in the, in the summertime, but to ask a true freshman receiver to come in and, and where the expectation is to make that sort of impact immediately is a lot to ask of any incoming freshman. I don't care how highly recruited uh, they were. And yeah. like you said, now the defensive backs, like it's not good for them either no. because they're not getting nearly as many reps as they should. Are you surprised at all that Notre Dame hasn't picked up? I know they picked up the kid from Johns Hopkins, maybe as like a preferred walk-on, but no receivers in the portal. Like clearly the Chris Smith move was a depth move reactionary to the Aiden Kayanana, whatever the hell his last name is. Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I apologize, but that was a reactionary move to that injury for, for depth. Why haven't we done that at wide receiver? Like uh, that's kind of surprising to me. I just don't know if there's that many options out there. Like har- a, a guy going from Harvard to Notre Dame makes sense. Like yeah. Chris Smith, a guy going from Northwestern to Notre Dame makes sense as is the case with Brandon Joseph, the safety. From a receiver standpoint, it doesn't look like there's that many options there for a guy from a school that academically is in the same category as Notre Dame to make that seamless transition. We've kind of talked a little bit about how Notre Dame and the whole transfer thing, it's it's a unique situation. We'll see what happens in the summer. I still think they are going to land one because they have to. I, I can't really see see them going into the fall with, the same receiver group that they have now, obviously adding Tobias Merriweather. But yeah, it's not good for anyone. At Notre Dame on the outside, it continues to be a problem. I guess the one bright spot um, on the outside, by all accounts, Tariq Bracey has been having a stellar spring as the starting nickel, which is kind of hilarious because a few weeks ago, we were like, what the hell is his deal? Is he mm-hmm. even on the roster? And now he might be having the best or maybe just the most notable spring of any player on the roster. It looks like he's going to be the nickel, not necessarily the starting boundary, but Notre Dame's going to be a nickel a whole lot. So, hey, if, if he's good enough or good to go and he's making the, all these improvements and then on on you know week one against Ohio State, we can count on him, that'd be pretty huge for a secondary that's been a big question mark, at least at this point in the offseason. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it, it also sounds like safety is now kind of a position of depth. Um, I think we probably still need some help at corner, but safety seems like it's a position of depth when – it's kind of interesting when you consider that Notre Dame lost Kyle Hamilton and, and got shredded in the Fiesta Bowl, but it sounds like Brandon Joseph is, is having a great spring, and so are Ramon Henderson and DJ Brown. I think Xavier Watts has excited some people, and thankfully it seems like uh, Houston Griffith is viewed as the fifth safety, just as he should be. So yeah. um, that you should not have to rely on him for to be a, a very 
high-usage player, so that's good. Yeah, I think from that standpoint, depth at least is, is pretty <laughs> decent. Um, one last thing, it does look like the quarterback competition is ongoing. Um, I, I don't think that's really a surprise, uh, but I feel like there should be an announcement after spring ball. Like, I don't want this quarterback competition, whether it is or whether it isn't. Uh, they're certainly treating it like it is in practice, and I get that. You want to keep Drew Pine motivated, but if Tyler Buckner isn't the starter, Notre Dame is in a real serious problem. Do you think that they're going to announce it after the spring, or do you think this this might drag on a little bit? So it's a different coaching regime, obviously, but I'm trying to think, Have unless it's a returning starter, have they ever announced it in the spring? Like when it was Golson versus Rees and – 2012 wasn't that not announced till fall camp too like i i don't remember no that that wasn't announced till camp brandon wimbush ian book i think that was announced in camp too yeah even though it was pretty understood that so wimbush I, was gonna I be don't starter. i i think just strategically i don't know if you do announce it mainly to for depth perspective you don't want true pine to hit the portal um I, I i don't know that he would necessarily anyways but just strategically i think that makes sense um, I don't anticipate them naming a starter. I do anticipate that it will be Tyler Buckner. It sounds like they both had pretty good springs. Um, I mean, we've heard some good things about both of them, but I agree. Obviously, we're all hoping and assuming it will be Tyler Buckner. Yeah, I don't think Drew Pine is going to leave. He probably understands that even if he is the backup week one, like there's probably going to be an opportunity at some point for him to come in and get some snaps and then, hell, maybe even start a game if Buckner ends up getting hurt. Um but that's really all we have right now. Like we said, just a few weeks into the spring training or spring practice, um, there's obviously going to be a lot more. And the first, like the media hasn't had a whole lot of access to begin with. It looks like they're just kind of going to put it all in the spring game. So uh, I'm sure we'll come out of that game with some just scorching hot takes and we'll see We'll see how the rest of the summer goes after that one game. Yeah, I mean, there's that one account out there that's already saying Clemson sucks because they had a <laughs> terrible spring game. <laughs> the account that will be nameless yeah it's nameless it's it's more of like i don't even you know we're not getting into it we're gonna get in trouble um let's move on to another big topic of conversation recently our boy brian kelly is in the news again um on thursday of last week two articles came out about brian kelly's reasoning for leaving notre dame and taking the job at lsu uh one from ralph russo at the associated press the other from Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports. Both articles were pretty much the same. So it was weird that they both came out like the same afternoon, back to back. It was clearly orchestrated on the LSU end. And it was the first time Brian Kelly really gave an explanation about why he left. And in it, he pointed to LSU's performance center and their facilities as a representation of LSU's full investment of the football program. Um, Brian Kelly also said Notre Dame's facilities were behind despite his efforts to get them updated. He also referenced his disdain for recruiting nationally, being gone four weeks at a time, as he was quoted as saying in one article, and then six weeks at a time in another article. I don't know which one it is. Thought that was a little odd. And Brian Kelly also said he wanted to play in the American League East, a.k.a. the SEC West, as a reason for taking the job. Look, Luke and I have both defended Brian Kelly on numerous occasions in the past as the head coach in Notre Dame. But while I was reading it, all I was thinking was like, dude, if you... If you didn't like Brian Kelly before, this is like, it's just perfect for you. Like, all the Brian Kelly haters were reading that being like, they just were loving every second of it. Oh, without a doubt. Um, and I just don't really care um, at all, to be honest. I'm not surprised at Drew Iyer from Notre Dame fans. I just personally don't care enough to be upset. 
fact, I'm kind of so tired of hearing about it from Notre Dame fans that I might continue the Brian Kelly defender bit and actively, <laughs> actively root for him to win a national title. Just like, get over it. Get get over it. Um, I, I mean, I think he's trying to, to be fair, show how much better off he is in a new setting and maybe needs to convince himself of that a little bit. It, it probably helps to explain in talking about his Tesla and, you know, the yeah. chef that LSU has. He had like one really weird quote, actually, where somebody asked him about the dancing going on and he said, when they say, coach, come on, how many times can you say no to a kid before he says, he ain't cool? I'm like, all right, Brian, I, I don't really know. But it's kind of like when you get dumped and your old girlfriend starts seeing this other guy and you're kind of just like, what the fuck are you doing? You're with that guy. But we're kind of months into this now, so I don't really want to talk about it. Um, it's just, it's not really a whole thing to me. It's not like he said, I didn't have the players. Um, I think I would have taken offense to that had he said that. And, and you know, you continue to see his old players, like the guys on the inside, the garage podcast defend him. So I'm kind of over it. I get why people aren't, but just like, I think we need all need to move on. There was one, I don't know if it was like offhand quote about the players. He said, I have players that want to be great here. There were a few quotes in there. It, he does kind of seem insecure. And look, I'm not, we're not here to, to defend Brian Kelly. And I understand Luke on your end where you're like, just kind of getting sick of hearing about it. But I just feel like, Judging by the response the Notre Dame fans, like whether they want to admit it or not, there's going to be a lot of Notre Dame fans tuning in to LSU games throughout the, this fall and probably the falls in the future. I'm going to be one of them, honest. Not necessarily because mm-hmm. I'm going to be rooting for them. I'm just interested to see how this works out because it seems mm-hmm. like such an odd fit. But look, I'm not surprised this drew such a strong reaction. His explanations were bad. Him whining about having to recruit across the country, like, dude, come on. He, at least, was the one guy on the Notre Dame staff who had access to the private jet. He can fly that around. I don't really feel a ton of sympathy for you, man. And even though he's right in saying LSU's football facilities are far better than Notre Dame's, like, come on, dude. That's that's not the reason. Now, I will say, he can't say the real reasons that he left. Like, society would not accept that. And if you read in between the lines there, I think it's really simple. One, money. He's going to receive $95 million to coach this team. Like, that's insane. I know he's getting paid well at Notre Dame. That's better. That's a lot more money than Notre Dame was willing to offer him. So that's number one. But if he said, yeah, man, I went for the money, the reaction would have been really bad if he said that. So I don't really blame him for not saying that. Two, this is just a fact. It's much easier to win a national championship at LSU than it is at Notre Dame. And he's probably like, look, I've been doing this coaching thing for a really long time. I've been at Notre Dame for 12 years. It hasn't happened. This is the the last thing I really need to do as a head coach. And it's easier to do it there. And if you don't believe me, look at Ed Orgeron and Les Miles. Those are yeah. two of the worst head coaches to ever win a national championship ever. And they did it at the same school. Ed Orgeron is a great defensive line coach and a recruiter. But as a head coach, he couldn't manage shit if you gave him a laxative. And he <laughs> was the head coach of arguably the greatest team in the history of college football. So Brian Kelly can't be like, yeah, look, if that idiot can do it, so could I. So this is what he said instead. And it, he tried to dodge a PR bullet and end up blowing up right in his face. But like, look, all I'm saying is don't be surprised if we see that man competing for a national championship in the next, you know, three to five years. Yeah, that's all fair. I, I don't know why, like, this just hit me like I kind of feel like LSU is like the Yukon of college football like they're not really that good ever but like just every five or six years they just come in and fuck things up and have just some <laughs> unbelievable team and end up winning a national title where it's just like where did that come from so 
that's UConn and college basketball, men's, and then this is LSU and football. So, anyways, uh, enough talk about them. We're going to be hearing a lot about Brian Kelly, and I totally get like he sounded like he was whining and he's making all the excuses, and he didn't take any accountability. and And these are all things that people have um, said about Brian Kelly in the past. And you know what? You're right. Like clearly, in this instance, he did not handle this well. But it's it's the reasoning is really simple, and whether we want to accept it or not, he went for the money, and he went because it's easier to win a national championship. And you are not going to convince me that winning a national championship at Notre Dame is is easier or more doable than it is there. And you know what? Whatever. We're like you said, it's it's happened. He's moved on and, and we have another coach here in Marcus Freeman, one who looks like he's willing to do whatever it takes, but it's still kind of early. So speaking of recruiting now, we've got a few recruiting updates. You wanna enlighten us? Few, yeah, indeed. Reports from multiple sources indicate that five star quarterback in Notre Dame's prized target, Dante Moore, will be extending his recruitment into the summer. Sounds like there's some people in his inner circle encouraging him to to take as many visits as possible and really prolong this thing. Notre Dame does appear to still be in the lead, but LSU, Michigan, Oregon, and, and some others are going after him hard. I know I saw some crazy people on the board suggesting that as soon as A&M gets a hold of him, he's going to get a bag drop and he's going to be an Aggie. Um, so who knows? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Dude, if he commits to LSU, oh my God. That'd be kind of hilarious, but it would be kind of like <laughs> it would be so bad. I mean, for Notre Dame, it'd be terrible. Yeah. Definitely don't want that to happen, right? But just the absolute firestorm that would happen if he did end up committing to LSU, it'd be like a car accident, dude. I couldn't take my eyes off it. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, staying at quarterback, Notre Dame's second choice at quarterback in the 2023 class, five-star Christopher Vizina is making his commitment. Well, tonight's Monday. Uh, April 11th. He's doing this tomorrow, Tuesday, April 12th. Pretty comfortable saying it's not going to be Notre Dame. Um, in fact, by the time you're listening, this will probably be announced. I, I think it's going to be a team in orange down in uh, in Clemson. So uh, we'll see. Wait, did he watch the spring game? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why he's going there, right? He can play. <laughs> that's why. Um, in more positive news, top 100 receiver Braylon James out of Texas tweeted that he will be committing soon. Seems like Notre Dame is a heavy favorite there, so that's a good thing. And uh, we also might be adding a player in the 2022 class, very late in the game, four-star running back Jabrian Payne out of Cincinnati LaSalle, just in Cincinnati, so I actually passed that yesterday. But anyways, he originally signed his NLI to uh, pay, play for Indiana, but after Dylan McCullough left the Hoosiers to take the job, as running backs coach Notre Dame, uh, Payne was able to get out of his NLI, and it looks like he's headed to Notre Dame. I was listening to our friend, Greg Flamong talked about him a little bit earlier. He actually compared him a little bit to Kyron Williams, so that was exciting to hear. Um, but yeah, uh, always good to, to add, you know, another running back, especially this late in the game. Yeah, that'd be nice. Notre Dame only has four scholarship running backs at the moment, so definitely be nice to add one more. Even though Jadarian Price, we didn't mention him at the top, but every report on him coming out of spring ball, he's an early enrollee, has been incredible. Like. He's not practicing like an early enrollee. It looks like he's been with the program for a while. Um, not just because he's strong, but he just looks like a natural fit on a college football field. Um, all right, let's talk about Dante Moore because that's, this is the main thing, and it sort of goes hand-in-hand with the Vizina thing. The recruitment of Dante Moore has huge implications for the Notre Dame football program for, for years to come. But I'm trying to, like, recuse myself of, of following his every visit and what, looking at his pictures and all that stuff because – even if he wants to commit before his, his season, like I, I totally get that from his perspective because the just coverage surrounding it is so intense. This is not going to stop. 
until he signs, signs the dotted line. Yeah. Like, even if he commits to Notre Dame and he says, I'm all in, all that stuff, like, I'm not going to believe it until early signing day, December. And like you said, even on the boards that people are saying, like, Texas A&M is just going to drop the bag off. Like, I don't think Texas A&M will do that. Doesn't seem like he has any interest in going to Texas. But we just saw it with Nico, the quarterback who uh, I think he's like one higher than Dante Moore in the recruiting rankings. He's got a long name. I I don't know it. Off the uh, I, I am a lava or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Everyone thought he was going to Oregon. And then allegedly Tennessee comes in with this $8 million bag drop. And now all of a sudden he's committed to the Vols. I don't know what, if that's going to happen with more. I'm just not going to get too worked up about it. And I certainly seem to be in the minority among Notre Dame fans who are literally following like every single move this guy takes. And I get yeah. it. But like, we're in it for the long haul with more. And this recruitment is not going to end anytime soon. It's, it's going to last long until um, December. So just strap in, I guess. Yeah, I, I do believe that Dante Moore will be Notre Dame's quarterback commitment in this class. But you know, obviously there's some unease there the longer this goes on. And I guess the one thing I'd point out, and, and this is our, something that our friend Mike Singer at Blue and Gold has pointed out, there is no real read on who number two is. It seems like that almost varies by the day between Oregon, LSU, Michigan. Um, so I'm remaining confident, but also I, I get the unease. But as I've said before, we probably shouldn't put all of our eggs and to the uh, wellness basket of some high schooler choosing to attend our alma mater. I mean, there was that one loser I got into a fight with on Twitter a couple weeks ago. It was after Moore's visit and his literally like, he had like the worst tweet I've ever seen. It was, he had changed his name to like Dante Moore season. And it was a picture. If you're listening, Dante Moore season, we're sorry. <laughs> and it was Not a, really. it was a picture of like Dante Moore on his commitment. And it was just like, you know, the vibes you're coming to South Bend. And like, he's literally just like dedicating his entire life to this. And I was like, you're a, fucking weirdo like stop like it's weird he's <laughs> tweeting at him like and he was like you're he called me like a basement dweller or something i'm like dude you're the one that's tweeting it at high schoolers like you're weird yeah the only way that's okay and just like it's not even okay it's just i could forgive it is if whoever's running that account is like 12 or 13 anything older than that incredibly suspect behavior one last thing is uh ari wasserman from the athletic you might have heard of him before uh, in his Stars Matter theory. Um, he did an entire podcast about Notre Dame being the favorite to land more, which means he's probably going somewhere else, given our luck. I don't like the fact that we're doing uh, people are doing podcasts and stuff because he, Notre Dame is the leader. Like, I didn't it's see just, that. That's not yeah. good. I mean, it's I, I guess it's good in theory if, if it's that known that he's the leader, but I don't know. More visited Notre Dame recently. By all accounts, the visit went extremely well. Notre Dame went all out with this. And if they don't get him, it, it would it would be tough because you mentioned Vecina earlier. That's Notre Dame's essential backup plan at quarterback, and they kind of made it clear that Moore was the number one guy. They're probably going to lose out on Vecina. And earlier on in his recruitment process, he was really considering Notre Dame. And it had to go in on, on Moore. I get it, but we've been burned before. Most recently, Will Shipley. Notre Dame put all their eggs in that basket to get Will Shipley. It didn't work out. It is what it is there. That's really all I've got in recruiting. And uh, let's get to the Tennessee State game. As I mentioned at the top, you and I are a little bit split on this. I know that when it was initially announced, you had a very strong reaction. It's been about a week since the announcement. Has it changed at all? Are you feel a little bit differently? I mean, I just don't like it for a number of reasons. Um, I think the first one is just attendance issues in general at Notre Dame Stadium. <clears throat> I'm kind of sick of playing boring teams in general. And 
somebody might say like, well, if you just put another group of five school on there, like, what does that really do for you? And I, I agree. That's a fair point. But like, this is just a larger issue that 2023 season. Now everybody points to the fact that we play Clemson, Ohio state and USC, and that's cool. But the first three games that year are Navy now Tennessee state and central Michigan. Who the hell is going to go to Tennessee state and central Michigan? Like that is just as boring as can be. Um, Navy will be cool because, and only because it's in Ireland. Um, That's a game we should never play. But after that stretch of, Three is the Ohio State game, too, by the way. I do want to make a note that um, I think September 9th is right now an open date. Uh, that could potentially be filled by one of four games that doesn't have a date yet, but that might be the buy. I'm not really sure. But anyways, you played three shithole teams in then Ohio State. I don't really know if that's a great way to start the year. Those open dates, that's going to be an ACC team, right? Yeah, it's like not. Pitt, cl- it's like one of the four. It's Pitt, ACC, NC yeah. State, and like somebody else. Yeah, um, something like that. What, Notre Dame sold out? One game last year, I think. I think only the UFC game. Uh, maybe two. Maybe North Carolina. But I get... North Carolina? I, yeah. I don't know if that one was a sellout. I don't think it was. But anyways, I get that part of the issue may be balancing finding an interesting opponent who isn't going to beat you. But if Notre Dame continues to charge insanely high prices for a shit-ass product of a Mac school and an HBCU to start the year, that's just not going to be worth it for fans. People aren't going to show up. You already saw it at the Toledo game last year. Purdue game wasn't very good either. I, like I, I, It was just not a very good showing, and I think that trend will continue if you continue to schedule like this. Now, I understand that part of that's just the basic economics of college football right now coming off a pandemic, but it's it's just not um, it's not that appetizing for fans. Yeah, and you make a good point there. Um, I think the home schedule this past season was, was really weak, mm-hmm. and that year they do have – um, Ohio State and USC at home, which will be two huge games. I mean, that's going to be Caleb Williams' third and probably final year at USC. But you're right; the rest, the rest of the slate is terrible. Um, I'm not surprised at the fan reaction. I, I do, I, I see why people are upset. I'm pretty indifferent to the whole thing. The main thing here is, and I guess what's kind of being lost in this is that it, it's, it's going to be a one-off situation. I really don't think this is going to become a trend in the future uh, because. Notre Dame plays Navy in Dublin the Saturday before. I like that because my family and I, we're going to go to Dublin and go to the game. We've been trying to go to Dublin for years, and I think this would be an unbelievable experience. But, like, that's a selfish kind of way to look at it. If you look at it for the team and, you know, what the team hopes to achieve during the season, like, it's going to be a very cool experience for them going to Dublin, but it's going to have long-lasting effects. So initially, and this has been reported, this is this is fact, Swarbrick wanted Notre Dame to have a bye in week two to give the team time to recover from a trip to Europe. They're going to have, you know, a ton of jet lag. It's going to be weird. And they just played a triple option team. And then the season is like really kicking into high gear. And Marcus Freeman didn't want that. He didn't want to buy that early in the season, which I get. So they needed to add a weak opponent on late notice. And the options here were slim to begin with. So... If they had tried to schedule like a bad Power 5 team or even a Group of 5 team, I think Notre Dame would actually be really vulnerable in this game to lose. I mean, think back to 2012. Notre Dame plays Navy to kick off the season in Ireland. Then the following week, they play Purdue at home. That Purdue team finished 6-6 six and six that year. And those two, we were tied with two minutes to go. We needed Tommy Reese to come in and save the day and bail Notre Dame out from losing to a really bad Purdue team. And, like, Notre Dame 
should have lost to Toledo last year. We were in serious danger of losing to Ball State in 2018. And I understand that Notre Dame's strength of schedule does get hurt here, but I've just kind of like, look, don't take any chances here. Because, yeah, I mean, playing an FCS school compared to a bad Power 5 probably does hurt the strength of schedule a little bit. But in terms of Notre Dame's playoff chances, what would really hurt them is losing to a really bad team. And, and by playing Navy in Dublin, you kind of put yourself in that position already. Right. And and maybe that's honestly where Jack Swarbrick has, and who knows where he's going to be in two years, but has just maybe exhibits a little bit more authority there and says, no, I have a little bit more experience in this sort of thing than you, Marcus. We need a buy in week two. Um, honestly, like that's, that's part of my thought. Like somebody, he needs somebody to kind of advise him on that. I don't know. I guess the other thing is who knows if the committee actually values this whole playing all FBS instead of FCS teams. We don't know because it's never happened before to us, but you're kidding yourself. You don't think we'll hear about this in 2023 from fan bases across the country. Like that will be a talking point and it's going to be so annoying. It's going to be so annoying. Just in terms of like when they're going to be bringing up our week schedule. I mean, they already say it. They already say it like, well, you don't play a conference title game, which is the dumbest argument ever. But now they say you only played 10 games or sorry, 11 games, whatever. Like it's going to happen and it's going to be so frustrating. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just don't really care about that. I, I mean, looking at Ohio State, Clemson and USC, those could be three national championship contenders, assuming Ohio State stays the course and continues to dominate the Big Ten like they do. USC improves with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley, and and Clemson returns to form. I I feel like odds are one of those teams might have somewhat of a down year compared to expectations, but those should be three really tough games. And Notre Dame, by being an independent, pretty much puts themselves in a position that we all, for the most part, accept, I would say, where they have to go undefeated to win it all. So I just think the effect here will be marginal. It doesn't seem like you're one of the people who's like, I guess who wore it as a badge of honor that Notre Dame never played in FCS school. Like that's not, you're you're thinking it all practically strength to schedule and also just like you go to every home game, the game sucks. Yeah, yeah. Is that your perspective here? Yeah, and I just don't think there's any reason to take that risk of softening your schedule like that and putting yourself in that position. Like, okay, you sh- like I know you you raised a good point. We almost lost to Toledo. We almost lost to Ball State. You shouldn't fucking lose to those teams. I don't care who you played or where you played. I don't care if you played in Afghanistan against USC the week before. <laughs> you shouldn't lose to Toledo or Ball State. So uh, well, anyways. we almost did. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but maybe I, that's what you're, maybe that's what they were saying. Freeman was like, "Let's go like bad Big Ten." <laughs> Swarbrick was like, "Dude, we almost <laughs> lost. We should have lost to Toledo. If that quarterback goes down at the two, we lose. Yeah. We lose yeah. to Toledo in the home opener." Yeah. the The other thing I'll say, and like, listen, I get that this will be cool for Tennessee State. I guess coming out here, I'm sure some of their fans will love it as much as I'm could not be less looking forward to it. But Notre Dame basketball played at Howard and HBCU on MLK Day this year. And that was a little bit different than this, in my opinion. In my opinion, a little bit more meaningful. Like for an ACC yeah. school. That was national tra- TV. Yeah, yeah. ACC school traveling to an HBCU, a tiny, raucous gym in the nation's capital on MLK Day on national TV. Like that's really cool. It also because we let let it be, turned out to be a really good game. <laughs> so, look, there's no chance of that happening here. Um, it, it just doesn't really move the needle for me. I'm sorry, it doesn't. So just more than anything, it's, it's just kind of boring. Like, whatever. I, I'm sure it'll be cool for them. For me, as a fan, selfishly, that game's not going to be interesting. Okay, so compare your reaction to, 
to Brady Quinn's. Where are so you? I still haven't. Where are you on the anger scale? Because if you're if you're unfamiliar, Brady Quinn on his radio show was the most angry. Like he rivaled some of the most absurd people I see on the boards. He was very very upset that Notre Dame is playing an FCS school. Now, uh, to clarify, Brady Quinn also criticizes Notre Dame for scheduling like a Toledo yeah. or a Central Michigan. Like he wants Notre Dame to play every game should be a, a good Power Five team because. That's what makes Notre Dame special. I mean, I guess in theory that's a good idea, but practically it's it's not a good idea. And I I, I don't know. But so he he had a really strong reaction. So we'll call him on the and the anger scale a ten. This was a zero. We were like happy. Where are you? I'm not. I don't think angry is the right word. It's just like very uh, just like why are we doing this? Like this yeah. is just not cool. Um, like well not not cool. Well yeah, not cool. It's not it's not exciting. Um. But I, I don't know. Um, like, when I look back on the last few years, I've seen some truly horrendous teams come through that stadium. Like, New Mexico and Bowling Green in 2019 were two of the worst football teams I have ever seen. Uh, yeah. Miami, Ohio, Miami, 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 Ohio in 2017. I can say that because one of my friends was their backup quarterback. But they were awful. <laughs> they were so bad. <laughs> Who else? Uh, UMass was bad in 2015. Oh, uh, that game, yeah. That that was like one of the first games of my freshman year, and it was just a bloodbath. I think that Bowling Green game, I think was like maybe the only Notre Dame game where I didn't watch a single snap. Like, so I don't even I ended think up, I even tried. I, I did not want to go to that one. And I had a friend I had a friend who was there like recruiting or something and he was like hey i might stay for the game like i'll go it was 66 to zero i'm pretty sure yeah, it was- <laughs> dude i was uh i was at the auburn george or no it was auburn florida at florida and i yeah i was when i was working at college game day at the time and i was like should i go to that i'm gonna miss the game I'm like hell yeah i don't care at all and then like I realized, okay, like let's check the Notre Dame score. And they, they were flashing the score in the stadium, and I was about, I like, didn't have any service. I was like, oh, I wonder what the score is. And there was like twenty eight nothing in the first quarter. I'm like, all right, I think I'll be yeah. all right. I'll be all right missing this game. Um, I do have a question to our listeners: if they are one of the people who, like I said, wore as like a badge of honor that Notre Dame never played an FCS team, like like it's some sort of exclusive club. Some of their reactions are just they're just weird to me, like. I get, you know, you don't want to water down schedule. People are like, I can't, like Notre Dame is sacrificing its integrity. And, you know, this is just another detriment to the program. Like, dude, relax. Okay. I try to look at it as like, okay, say you're a part of a club. Does the committee care? No. Okay. Does the rest of college football world care that you don't play in FCS school? Like, no, not really. Does the majority of the fan base even know this is a thing? I don't know. I, I would say diehards do. So Jordan Cornette said that, and I disagreed. I felt like it was a very well-known thing. Maybe they never have. I don't know. But, like, has it ever provided, like, a, a real benefit other than saying we don't? Like, it's just weird that some people are like, oh, my God. Like, we're just sacrificing so much here. I, I don't know. It really doesn't make sense to me. And, hey, maybe someone can hit me up on Twitter at Tyler Rojak and tell me why I'm an idiot. But I I was just a little confused. Like, what am I missing here? Yeah. Um, that actually reminds me of another thing. Um, so there was, like, a lot of celebration around Notre Dame bringing back pregame mass. Um, I, like, and, like, it's kind of funny to me because a few years ago, these same people were the people praising Brian Kelly for, like, being a CEO and realizing that making mass the night before got his players an extra hour and a half of sleep and all this stuff. And now it's like, Oh, Brian Kelly never got Notre Dame. 
this could be an incident where it's just they're saying Marcus Freeman gets Notre Dame. It's really just like, you know, um, he's actually just saying yes to everything. And like somebody said, we want this back. Like I, who, who the hell cares if they go to mass for the game? I don't like just like, and I am a Catholic. I don't, I don't give a shit about that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they go to mass on yeah. Friday night or Saturday morning, yeah. I don't think it really matters. I think the tradition of the player walk from, and they still the do Basilica. that. I mean, they've done that. Right. Well, I don't know where it's, where does it start now? I remember hearing that it started in the tailgates, but like I never saw the player yeah, walk. I, I it's certainly know. not coming from like where we tailgate in like the stadium lot, but I guess that was a thing. I don't know. I never really, really understood why that was a big deal, but I, I guess, yeah. I mean, um, I do think that the, with the Brian Kelly thing, um, people who said he doesn't buy into what Notre Dame is about and he's sort of a sell, like, that's fine. I think this article would, would definitely help your point there. And Marcus Freeman, up to this point, has said and done all the right things to show that he's fully bought into Notre Dame, probably more so than Kelly. And and if that matters to you, that's that's cool. I get it. Um, that doesn't necessarily translate to wins and losses on the football field. I get why people like that. But again, like Marcus Freeman is still in this somewhat of a honeymoon phase, despite the fact that Notre Dame lost the only game that he coached. And, and we'll just see. Like This story is going to change as time goes on and how people look and talk about Marcus Freeman as the Notre Dame head coach. It's going to change. And we haven't really hit that real speed bump yet or dealt with some real adversity or where people really didn't like a decision he made. It kind of started here with this Tennessee State thing. Like I think it's the first time that he's gotten like real criticism. But, you know, time will tell. We'll see how fans really care about him. Yeah, I mean, we'll see when we lose by 100 in Ohio <laughs> State. So, <laughs> sorry, I, I, meant, I, meant, I meant 10, not 100. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't really have anything else to add. Uh, do you got anything? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think I'm good. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Um, we will be back following the Blue and Gold game, which I think is Saturday, April 23rd, so then we'll be back the following week. Uh, but until then, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.